You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I've got Craig Hollywood with me. Craig, welcome to the island. Pleasure to be here. Craig, all our guests get asked this question. When was that time in your life where you did something either for yourself, something a bit out of the ordinary, or where you went on a bit of a tangent in your life and made a decision that some people might have gone and thought that it was a little crazy? Have you had that time in your life where you may have experienced that? Oh, look, I have. Uh, that would be creating a not-for-profit uh, whilst being in a situation that I'm a civil engineer. Uh, the idea came to me whilst I was sitting in the barber's chair and the not-for-profit is called Short Back and Sidewalks and it provides free haircuts to members of the community experiencing homelessness. Why would you think of that in the barber chair? Look, I have to go all the way back to Glasgow when I was about 15 years of age, which is about 21 years ago. And I was standing in the living room of my auntie's house. And unfortunately, we just lost our Uncle Eddie. And I just watched him be zipped up in a body bag in, in front of us. And Eddie was someone that I'd, I'd like to tell you about. He was an awesome guy and someone who had a lot of empathy and someone who enjoyed a joke, someone who supported Celtic. He used to take us to the fair in Glasgow, but he also uh, suffered from his demons. Uh, and one of those demons was alcohol. And unfortunately, as a result of his demons with alcohol, he wasn't able to sort of uh, conquer them and um, died as an alcoholic and I remember as a kid hearing that zip of that body bag and and that's where it all started for me and it was the fire of empathy which was um, lit inside me so and that it, so that had nothing to do with haircuts well or no people look, on the street or so Eddie experienced homelessness he had yeah and um, and from time to time would probably be accessing service providers in Glasgow and whatever else and I've always, having grown up in Glasgow, had 
empathy for for that because of Eddie, but also um, because of Glasgow's a bit of a rough and tough kind of place. And from a young age, we were very much exposed to that e e element of life. So I've always wanted to help those in that situation. So um, I got into the engineer my engineering career and got 10 years into it and um, probably went a little bit too far into that to turn back, and, and that was in my head anyway. But I guess having done some volunteering and realized that there wasn't a lot of connection going on, I, I, I was sitting in the barber's chair and, and I thought, this is the moment and this is the connection that that I, that I believe that other people should have because when you're in the barber's chair or the hairdresser, it's like they're literally like the accidental counsellors of society. And, you know, you literally put your head in their hands and you tell them some of your deepest thoughts and feelings. And Alex, the guy who used to cut my hair or still cuts my hair, and I kind of said to him, like, look, I think this is a great moment that we're sharing and I'd love to be able to give it to, to people that, who, are, who, who are disconnected. So that was, the, that was the idea of Short Back and Sidewalks was in that barber's chair. And so that was in WA? In Perth, yeah. I'm interested in his reaction. Did, did, like, does he see himself as a, as a quasi-counsellor, you know, someone who um, has people's thoughts in, their, in his hand when he's cutting their hair? Had he ever thought about it that way? Oh, look, it's interesting you ask that because I, at that point, I really needed, as someone who's not a hairdresser, I needed to find people who were able to cut hair and people who were interested. So I arranged a time to go into the Westons team. It was a Saturday afternoon. They just knocked off. They're all standing around in their barbershop with beers and whatever. And I came, I went in with my sort of crappy pitch of short back and sidewalks, the, the original prototype. So I sat them all down and said, look, this is my idea. I lost my uncle who you know, experienced homelessness and I want to provide connection to people experiencing homelessness and make them feel better about themselves, even for if it's just for 30 minutes. And Justin, the owner of Westons in Perth, stopped. He said, stop. He goes, we're in. And, and I was like, and I said, why? And he said, look, he goes, my dad had his demons as well. And, he, and I lost my, my dad because of, because of that. And, and, and he said, we're in. And, and that was it. That's incredible. Again, it was connection on a personal level rather yeah. than, I guess, the practical concept. It was the fact that um, someone could empathise with, yeah. with what, you were, what you were telling them and the story that you had. And I, li I like to call it the, like the fire of empathy. And, and that's what burns inside you, you know. And for me, it's been growing for, for as long as I can remember. So the simple idea of cutting hair for people that are homeless, rough sleeping, or just disadvantaged. How did you really hone in on that? You just told the story about your uncle, but is it as simple as that? Or, or was there something more that you saw that that experience could actually have significant impact on an individual? I guess every time I walk past someone who's on the street, I think of my uncle. Yeah. And, and I, and I realised that that is actually someone's uncle or that's someone's brother or sister or mother or father or grandparent or whatever like I, I always just look at it like that and I'm you know there are hundred and over 116,000 people in Australia experiencing homelessness currently which ends up being one in 200 people it's like two Optus stadiums full of people experiencing homelessness 
and for me, that, that just doesn't wash with me, you know. Like, and 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 I think as someone who is of somewhat privilege, um, I think it's our duty to to help people. So you got a great commitment out of the guys you spoke to first up. Has that been the case every time you've spoken to somebody, or have others gone? Mm, maybe it's not for us or maybe the impact's not strong enough or um, they just haven't connected with the idea yeah volunteering as a whole i think is is a is a pretty complicated space and the way shortback and sidewalks have sort of said over the years is that we literally need like two hours of your time a month and i guess in a world that we live in today like that's still quite a lot of time and with the people that we've met and the volunteers so far over the last eight years it's like it, there's no middle ground it's like the people aren't going to do it or they're just right in there you know like we've got like Jules who's the you know almost like the poster child of volunteering like for short back and sidewalks the poster woman of volunteering and um, you know she's done hundreds and hundreds of shifts and comes every week from Yanjibup and you know we always kind of say if we have if we've got like 200 Juleses then we'd We'd be changing the world, you know. Conquering it, yeah. <laughs> so, tell me how it started the, in terms of the, the first session. What was it? What was it like? How did it come about? And and were there any light bulb moments at that first session? Yeah, it's funny because I kind of attribute it to coming from Perth in a way, like, and also I guess having the drive. But uh, I seen this guy on television. His name is Conrad Livers, and um, I, didn't, I didn't know him. And I seen him on the news, was doing something in Fremantle for people experiencing homelessness, I think called Street Smugglers. And it was like they rented a shop front or a shop and decked it out as a, as a clothes shop with all free clothes and people experiencing homelessness could go in. And I, I thought, right, okay, that's the guy to ask. And then I seen him on the news. So I texted him on, or sorry, I messaged him on, Facebook Messenger and didn't didn't know who he was. And I said, "Look, I've got this idea. I've seen you on telly. I want to talk to you." So we we arranged to meet up on a Friday morning and went for a coffee or orange juice or something. And I said, "Look, I know you don't know me, but I've got this idea." And I remember he just immediately went, "Shit." And I was like, "What?" And he was like, "I wish I had come up with this idea." <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the idea of short back and sidewalks. And he says, "What?" He goes, uh, "I can help you." And Basically, Conrad was then able to plant the seed, I guess, because he said, look, I've got this guy who wants to give free haircuts to people experiencing homelessness and had made a few messages. And within about literally about three minutes, his phone was buzzing and it was service providers all around Perth going, right, OK, we're in. So that's the key. That's the key to the scaling and to get it moving was that the service providers bought in. Yeah, a hundred percent. That was like very critical in the beginning. And then the next thing was to find haircutters. So then, speaking with the the Westons crew, so we we booked a date, March the seventh, two thousand and fifteen. It was a Saturday afternoon. Sun was splitting the sky. It was behind Kakula's brothers, in William Street. And I remember this feeling. It was the first time we'd done it. It was almost like have you ever had a birthday party and you wonder if anyone's going to come? Who's going to turn up? <laughs> You've got all the food out, all the, 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 the drinks and soft drinks and whatever else and you're going, oh God, is, is anyone going to turn up? And we walked around the corner and there was a guy sitting on the pavement 
And I just remember immediately feeling like, is this guy coming for a free haircut or is this guy just in there, you know? So middle-aged guy, silvery gray hair, sitting on the pavement. And I remember I just walked up to him and I said, look, you here for the free haircuts? And he said, yeah, I am. And my name's Godfrey. And I was like, awesome. And, and immediately at that moment, the first haircut, I was just like, right, okay, this is, this is on. And Godfrey told us, yeah, that's his story. He was you, from Darwin and um, used to run a very successful fleet car business up in Darwin and had his own demons. And as a result of those demons, had lost it all and lost his family and was now living in a bushland up in Wanneroo in a tent. And he, and he said, do you want to know why I live in a tent? I said, well, yeah. And he said, because I feel safe there. He goes, I don't feel safe in this city because I'm from Darwin and I'm, I'm, I'm used to camping and, and whatever else. And I think like my world just kind of just went, done a big crazy 360 degree turn. And just, I just was just immediately, I guess, gobsmacked as to what that situation was. And someone who had such, an, such a successful previous time in life had got to that point, you know. That's really interesting because you talk about your experience being in the barber's chair, hairdresser's chair, and your sense that you tell stories, you, you open up to the person cutting your hair. And that's exactly what he did straight away. Mm. So the consistency of the process yeah. occurred in, in this situation. So I guess that must have been, again, a validation for you that the same experience that you have was, was had by someone who was sleeping rough. It's just about connection, really, you know, and that ability just to have a conversation like we're having now. And I think, you know, it doesn't cost a lot of money, but it's something that a lot of people just don't really have. So Godfrey, have you come across him again? Do you know where, what happened to him? I'm, I'm just curious sideline here, just to, always interested in what happens to certain people in certain stages in their life. We found out that day that he was going for a job, the Monday after, and we found out he got the job. So, we, but we haven't seen Godfrey again since. That's probably even better. Yeah. Because it means that it just, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. So there was not only a experiential thing for him and for you, but it was also just that practicality of perhaps he was cleaned up, presentable, got the job because of it. Yeah, when you look good, you feel good. I think that's what Short Back and Sidewalks does. It's the opportunity to connect and have a conversation, but also to be kind of pampered in a way. How many people turned up for the rest of that first session? About 15, I reckon. 15, that's an incredible start. Yeah, it was um, a chap at the, the Salvation Army in Perth on William Street and had got the word around and next thing you know, we were doing regular services in Perth. That was the first one. Sometimes the first time is the easiest. How did you replicate that? How did you get the energy to keep going? Oh, look, it's a good question. We, we, got, a, we got a huge reception. I remember like the next day, I was at, at that point of my life, I was, all, um, was volunteering at RTR FM doing a radio show. And I remember getting a text message halfway through my radio show and this guy was like, are you on Twitter? And, I, and, and it was just a friend of mine. I said, no, nah, I'm not on Twitter. And he said, 
James Carlton from the ABC is looking for you. Um, and, <laughs> and he says, and James Carlton's my hero, and I cannot believe that you're not on Twitter, and I cannot believe that I'm about to give you James Carlton's number from the ABC because he wants to talk to you. I was like, okay, give me James's number and let's have a chat. And our, we, 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 got, we got heaps of traction, like very early on. It went viral. It was on the news. We were on ABC Radio National talking to Fran Kelly and James Carlton and all these people. And I just thought that, I just think the momentum just took it in a place where that we couldn't really turn back. A mate of mine turned around and goes, right, well, we're gonna, we're gonna build you a website. We're gonna build you a system. Everyone just started coming in from everywhere. And next thing you know, it was a not-for-profit. Next thing you know, we were you know, signing documents and trying to put together boards of directors and strategy and it, it just started really having this huge big momentum and and that was it that's often the case with a social entrepreneur when it works but the most important thing obviously is to get the structure right yeah because you want to be sustainable you want to be able to keep going how did you balance your time in that early period between setting up a not-for-profit and thinking about it from a pragmatic business point of view but at the same time, keeping the passion, keeping the, that fire burning so that you could get that buzz of experiencing watching somebody get their hair cut. Oh, look, looking back, I'm, I, I don't really know how I've managed to do it, to be honest. And it's just that drive and determination. And I'm not, I'm, I'm honest, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's easy because it's, it's not been easy. Like, because I also work as an engineer as well. So I've, I've been working on major projects as an engineer and, and then having to do this at the same time. But the drive comes from having that deep passion and that deep drive. Because every time I think about my uncle, that's what keeps me going sort of thing. It's now when we fast forward eight years, having started it in a car park, which now I look back and I, I do go, that was crazy, you know. Um, but to have taken it this far, you know, we operate in Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, we go out on country, we have about 250 volunteers, we have 60 kind of management staff, we're starting to partner with major hair groups, we're starting to look at sort of major funding, we've had federal funding, we've consolidated it to the point where it runs itself, there's you know, a huge team now and it's like, I look back and I, I see it in kind of like milestones. There's, you get to that point where you think it's just gonna hit the, hit the ground and then something happens and it spikes and then all the, the, the enthusiasm and the energy comes back and then something else will happen and it just has this, it just has this kind of trajectory of, of things and that's the way that I've always kind of found it. It's like trying to search for that next peak. The stories of those that have got haircuts and have been able to move out of homelessness. Mm -hmm. Do you hear those all the time? And, you know, we do, we do understand that, and you talked about the statistics around homelessness, and it's a really challenging problem. You know, there are some that come into, or become homeless and then come out of it yeah. relatively quickly because they, you know, understand the pathway and the support of the service providers. But there, there are others that really struggle to to move on and to be able to get out of that homelessness state. Have you seen the impact of somebody who's been homeless and come to a number of sessions to get haircuts and then eventually they've moved on? Yeah, one of the early times that we, and again, actually, it was the first ever 
session behind that Kukulis Brothers, a chap called Josh came past for a haircut and we actually still see each other now and Josh has actually become like a spokesperson for homelessness and works and does this and uh, recently was at a tour that he does where uh, during homelessness week in August he um, you know, takes people around and shows people what it's like to experience homelessness so a, a few other people stick out um, Michael who when we met was living outside of the Perth library that was about seven years ago and um, Michael said to us that not only is it tough experiencing homelessness but it's especially tough for someone like him and he explained that that he was transitioning between female and male and I immediately just was just thinking like that's almost like compounding the the trauma of of being experiencing homelessness is like going through that a gender transition whilst living on the streets and you know Michael was someone that we used to see all the time and um, is, is very prominent on the short back and sidewalks Instagram to Michael's requests um, in his own words he's uh, insta famous and we we know that along the years that you know Michael has got to a point where he does have uh, now permanent accommodation and I remember one day I got a phone call from the service provider at Passages, which we, where we used to see Michael. And she said, um, oh, look, I've got to tell you something about Michael. My phone rang and I answered it. And she said, look, Michael wants to, us, you to pass on a message or us to pass on a message. One of your volunteers had called Michael Sir for the first time in his journey. And he just wanted to let you know that that's made a, a big impact on, on him um, because he, cause he knows that you know that he's transitioned, but he, he knows that those other people didn't know that about him. So they seen him as Michael, the bloke who comes in and gets his haircut or his facial haircut. And for me, that was like, it's stuff like that when I hear that and I'm just like, you know, this is, this is creating a real impact, you know, and it doesn't cost a lot of money. Yeah. It doesn't cost anything. So you mentioned you're at a, at a stage, eight years, your passion has, has been driving it a lot through that eight years. You have built some good governance around it and some structure. So how can you guarantee the impact going forward? What's the immediate future so that you can as a, continue to create impact? The immediate future for us is to, to consolidate it to the point of having the real structures in place and then getting to the stage where we're starting to pay some staff members full time because our aim for 2025 is to be doing 15,000 free haircuts a year and that's about 30 weekly services across Australia and we've created this system of scalability and we know how to do it it's just you know having that bigger bigger forms of support. And do you find that there's still a bit of uniqueness in terms of the experience for, for people to come up and have their hair cut? You know, or are you just another service provider? Look, we understand that short back and sidewalks isn't, we're not ending homelessness by cutting people's hair. So the model that we went through in the very beginning of turning up in car parks and behind buildings and whatever is now gone. 
uh, hindsight is a, a great thing. We realized that that wasn't really sustainable. So now it's kind of fast forwarded to we, we, we tie in inside service providers, but it gives people the opportunity to access a haircut, have a shower, see the street doctor, have some clothes washed, speak to a, a professional. And I guess we recognize our position in the whole spectrum, which is a very small part of a very complex puzzle. But what it creates is, I guess, equality, and what it creates is conversation and, and inclusion, and I think that's a really important thing with for people in that space. Just as we wind up, you've mentioned that you've been um, expanding around Australia. You've obviously experienced many sessions where people have had their hair cut, and, and is there one in particular where there's this the sense of awe that might have come over you where you've looked at it and gone, wow, this is where you've found that, you know, you've made it or you're really making a big difference? We had a situation where we went to Arnhem Land and we didn't really know it at the time, but so we were up at the Garma Festival of Traditional Culture in Nulemboy, yeah, in northeast Arnhem Land and there was this chap getting his hair cut next to this young Yongu kid and I looked across and we were in this kind of dust this tent and it was dusty and hot and it was about 50 degrees and uh, we were in this silly little tent that they that had put out and um, this chap was having his hair cut and so and we looked across and there was all these people just all staring and we didn't really know there was like Snoop Dogg was on and some gangster rap thing and everyone was dancing around and this little Yongu kid was having their hair cut and they were like talking to this guy and anyway as it turns out the guy was the CEO of Apple and like the the, the two very diverse backgrounds were were just and and to be honest like the the, the young kid the young indigenous kid like A wouldn't have known but B wouldn't have cared and I think that moment for the for the CEO of Apple to be having their hair cut and just to be like to, to both have the capes on to be equal in, in that moment, and I think that that was really, really powerful to to see and to be aware of, because like once that cape, capes on, like any you know, it doesn't matter who you are. It's like it's it's that it's that equality that we bring, you know. And yeah, great story, Craig. Mm. Often it's those little moments that you think back on and observe, and you go, "Wow, yeah, that was that was significant." Yeah. Look, Craig, thanks for being on the island. It's a great story. And I've been around social impact for a little while and I've seen the strength of social entrepreneurs and I've seen how the star can burn brightly and then can fade really quickly because of just the sheer exhaustion of emotion and exhaustion of effort. I'm really pleased to, to get to understand that there, there is some structure, there is some long-term goals and um, I look forward to following the future of Shortback and Sidewalks and, you, and yourself personally. And congratulations on your award from last year. Do you want to just quickly tell Max's Island listeners before we go of, of the award? Because this podcast has been, um, this recording has taken some months to get because I've been bumped down the, the order because of your um, media stardom. So, but perhaps just quickly finish on actually that award yeah. and what it has actually meant for Shortback and Sidewalks. Look, it was uh, November last year. Then my phone went, and uh, it was Anne Marie from Ospire, and 
she was like, by the way, you've been nominated for an Australian of the Year award. And I immediately thought that it was rubbish. And I was like, ah, you're joking. And, and I thought it was a mate of mine kidding on that they'd got their mum or they'd got someone to, because I like to play a lot of jokes. So um, anyway, as it turns out, it wasn't a joke. Um, and I had been nominated for an Australian of the Year award. And I thought it had to, couldn't it be real? But I remember as we approached the Western Hotel uh, in Perth for the State Awards, it was, yeah, it really hit home how real it was. And going back to that, it was uh, a situation where my the people in my category were Professor Len Collard from uh, UWA, like a traditional, sorry, a senior uh, Wajak Nungar elder, a professor of language, 25, 30 years of, you know, doing amazing work in that kind of space and preserving language and whatever else. Then there was the CEO of Millennium Kids, who for 25 years has been Kat Annie Air, her name is, and, um, you know, empowering the next generation of children when it comes to things like social impact, uh, racism, climate change and whatever else. And then there was uh, Ken Gibbons, who was the, the CEO or the founder of the Telethon Community Cinemas. Um, I immediately was like, I've got no hope. So uh, I got stuck into the free bar pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty early at the, at the Westin. But as it turns out, I, I won the award and uh, I was quite shocked as to, as to winning that because I was the only person that wasn't a professor or you know, hadn't raised... 50 million dollars for charity or whatever but I was just a bloke who gave something a crack so we got to go to the national awards in Canberra we got to go and have morning tea with the the prime minister at the time which wasn't your average morning tea I can tell you that uh, uh would uh, take a yeah there was secret service police and uh earpieces and dark sunnies and all sorts um, and it would uh yeah take a lot of guts to do anything on that day um, such as maybe gives Scomo some side eye or, or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like Grace Tame, who we met. She's a, a, an awesome person. And yeah, look, it was an amazing experience. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and, and ended up Western Australia's local hero for 2022. And, you know, since then, it's been a, a real whirlwind, you know. I've embarked on a keynote speaking career, which I never would have thought that I would have ever done. And have been here, there, and everywhere talking about short back and sidewalks. Been on the project. We've had federal funding. We've made partnerships with major industry people, and uh, just basically has given us an opportunity to really sort of look back and visualise what's happened, but also given us a real platform to take it to to the next level and. Yeah, it's it's a it's not something that I would have thought that going winding all the clock back to that first day down at um, behind Kukulis Brothers in Perth, you know, giving haircuts to people like Godfrey and Josh, and next thing you know, you're on the steps of the the lodge talking to Scomo about his dog. But um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's been an amazing experience, and I think once again those peaks and troughs, and that's been quite a big peak, and I think it kind of really. I guess reinforces the fact that this is something that I think we need. I need to do. Craig, thanks for being on the island, and I invite you back maybe in a couple of years' time to tell us about how you've gone to that next level. Thanks for being on the island. Absolutely, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tony. 
we spoke on the bus on the way home from work he was lost in the details of life each day was a blur oh work and no play and how how it had turned out this way he told me his plan a short-term escape five weeks on the bibbleman track go it alone no one to blame if he finished or fell by the way sense was engaged his mind was as clear as the sky completely alone no emails or phone and 